thank you this morning that we serve a living, risen Savior. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you for the love of the resurrection. God, we just ask that you would continue this morning to move in this place among the people, that you would supply every need according to your riches and glory. God, whatever the need is, for those who are lost, Lord, we pray salvation. For those who are hurting, healing. For those who are sick, healing. Lord, for those who are discouraged, we, we just pray hope and encouragement and joy and peace. And God, we just pray that every word spoken this morning would be your word, that you would speak through me, God. Lord, we worship you this morning. We thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, guys. The kids, you can be released down to the kids' zone. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord as we celebrate the risen Savior, right? Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Um, so as the kids are going down, let me just make you aware of a couple of things. Uh, we will, after the service, uh, the children's ministries downstairs will be having an egg hunt. And so we will give you time after everything's over up here. They'll give you time to get downstairs uh, to join your kids. Uh, we have an egg hunt nursery through 12, nursery through 12 years old. And uh, you can join them down the stairs and are out back and take pictures and all that. So uh, this morning we are in John chapter 20. If you want to be turning in your Bibles there, John chapter 20. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've been going through the latter part of the book of John. We started in John chapter 13. And we've just been working our way towards today, the resurrection. Last week we talked about the crucifixion. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and what it brings to us and the hope that it brings us and all that. So, so let me just begin. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 20. <clears throat> Early on Sunday morning, it was still dark. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. So that's John. He wrote the book, so he gets to call himself the one who Jesus loved, right? She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So again, John gets to let you know he's faster than Peter. Okay, he's writing the book. He gets to put that in there. And so uh, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures 
that Jesus, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. So this morning, the big idea is this. Because of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus, you can know hope and love. Because of the fact of the resurrection, you can know hope and you can know love. So there's, I'm going to cover four things this morning fairly quickly. One, the resurrection is a fact. The resurrection is a fact. That's number one. Two, the resurrection reveals the source of hope. Three, the resurrection reveals what we're really looking for. And four, the resurrection reveals the grace of God. So let's begin with, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly, but... The resurrection is a historical fact. It's not legend. It's, it's not um, a fable. It's fact. It's a historical fact. And now, I know that there are people who still question whether or not <clears throat> Jesus was actually raised from the dead. Most people agree that he was lived on the earth and he was crucified. The problem comes with the resurrection. But let me just read you a scripture, and then we're going to go through some things that I hope will help you see the factual part of the resurrection. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him. For I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So here Paul tells us that not only did the apostles see Jesus, but that at one time over 500 of his followers saw him. And he goes on to say, and some of them are still alive. Most of them are still alive. Why did he say that? Because he was basically saying to the people who were reading this, if you want to know for sure, go ask them. 
They're still here. Those 500 people, most of them are still alive. You can go ask those people, who saw Jesus? Tell me about it. And they could tell you. So not only did it, was it just a story that you know the few apostles came up with, but there were people all over Jerusalem saying, I saw Jesus. I saw the resurrected Jesus. Two, the gospel writers used women as their primary source of information. Now, why is this significant? Well, one, historically, during this period of time, women's testimony was not counted. You, women were not allowed to uh, even testify in court because their opinions, their, their views were not considered trustworthy. And that was this, then, not now, okay? And there was, uh, in the first century, there were writers who said things like this. Well, the people who found Jesus were people like Mary Magdalene. You can't count on a woman because they're hysterical and emotional. And everybody went, yeah, that's a problem. But it's not now, right? It was then. So what, what does that have to do with now? What does that have to do with the resurrection? Because if they were making up, if Peter, James, John, the apostles were going to make up a story in that day and time, they would not have said Mary was the one who found him. If they were going to make up a story, they would have made up a story about men finding him, reputable men who could stand in court and testify. But what were they were doing? They were just telling the truth. Jesus rose from the grave. Mary found him. She saw him first. Third, Jesus was dead when he was placed in the tomb. Now, some people would argue that Jesus was never really dead, that they took him off the cross too early, they put him in the tomb, and somehow over the night that he, you know, came to and got out of the grave himself and walked out. And so, one, there's two things wrong with that. One is Romans were really good at killing people. And so they had crucified thousands of people. Jesus wasn't the first one they crucified. They crucified thousands. And there's even, if you read through the, the account of the, of the crucifixion, there's a point where Pilate says, it's too early for him to die. He can't already be dead. Go back and make sure before you take him off the cross that he's really dead. And then they go back and they, they stick a spear in him and then they come back and say, no, he's really dead. And so these soldiers were paid, were known for killing people. They would not have made a mistake. So when he went into the grave, he was really dead. But we know that three days later, he really came back to life, right? He was really alive. And this is the thing that changed this small group of people who believed in, G in Jesus at that time to the most powerful faith, religion, whatever you want to call it in the world, because something happened in that moment, something happened in those few days. If he had just stayed in the tomb, then eventually the 12 or the, the 120 or whoever would, would believe would have just sort of died out and that would have been the end of it. But it changed the world. It changed the world. Also, people would argue this. Well, back then people were more likely to believe in miracles than they are now. That, um, you know, back then they were really gullible. They believed in the supernatural. So if anybody said someone was raised from the dead, they would have just believed it and, and taken it. But today we know more and we're more skeptical and, skeptical and we, we're not going to believe that stuff. Well, here, consider this. They weren't any more likely to believe that, and that then as the skeptics are today. As a matter of fact... The apostles who had been traveling with Jesus and who had heard him say multiple times, 
On the third day, I'm going to raise. On the third day, I'm going to, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to do this. On the third day, they heard that all multiple times. And it was the third day. And not one of them said, you know what? It's the third day. Let's go see if he's alive. Not one of them. The only reason that Mary was going, the only reason that we read in the Gospels they were going to the tomb on the third day was because it was the day after the Sabbath, and now they were going to go complete the burial. They weren't going expecting to find him alive. And so when they found him, they believed. They believed. That's what changed their minds. It wasn't that they were just being willing to believe some fable. And then lastly, we know that when Peter and John get to the tomb, they find the clothes laid aside, and, if, and in, the, in the Greek, the Hebrew there, it says it was laid aside very neatly. It was placed in order. It wasn't just thrown about. And so what does this mean to us? Well, if you were an enemy of Jesus and you were going to steal the body to make sure that, you know, well, let's go steal the body, why would they disrobe him? Why would they take the time to take the grave clothes off of him and neatly fold them over in a corner? If you were stealing the body because you were an enemy, you would just take him as he is. If you were a friend of Jesus and you were a follower of Jesus and you were going to go take his body, why would you treat him so bad? Why would you treat him so harshly? Why would you want to denigrate him by taking the clothes off of him? You wouldn't. you take him the way he was. And if Jesus, as some would suppose, was not dead, and he was able to somehow get up and have a Hulk moment and rip the clothes off of him, they would be torn in shreds, and they would not be laid over in a neat pile. And if Jesus went through the beatings and the flogging and the torture in the crucifixion, would it be possible for him on his own power as a man to get up, rip the grave clothes off of him, roll the stone away, and walk away? No, the only answer is it was a supernatural event. The only answer is that God resurrected him, the Holy Spirit resurrected him. The angels came and rolled the stone away. That's the only answer, right? And so the resurrection is a fact. And that's, the reason we need to know that is because our hope is tied to the resurrection. Your hope, my hope, is tied to the resurrection. If it's a fable, if it's a legend, there's no hope there. But if we know it's a fact that Jesus was resurrected on the third day, then we can have hope. So let's look at this conversation that Jesus has with Mary because he says a few things to her, and I'm going to look at three different things he says to her and how it reveals what the resurrection says to us about hope. So the first thing we hear him say is, Dear woman, why are you crying? Dear woman, why are you crying? So the resurrection reveals the source of hope. See, the view of a non-resurrected, unresurrected Savior only leads to sadness. Mary was sad at the moment. The reason she was crying is because in that moment, she did not realize Jesus had been resurrected. And, and the source of all of her hope, the source of all of her love, the source of all of her peace in her thinking at that time was that he had died on the cross. 
And if we feel that Jesus died on the cross, there is no hope for us. It's a very sad life. If, if we don't believe Jesus was resurrected, there's no peace for us. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no hope of the future. And the Bible even says this in 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. I'm wasting my time this morning. And your faith is useless. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And so if Jesus was not resurrected, a faith in someone that was a good teacher, the, the, a faith in someone who was a great rabbi gives us no hope. But when we know that Jesus came out of the grave and he's alive, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And every time we pray to him, he's alive and he hears us. And he is involved in our life because he's alive. Then we can have hope. Then we can really have hope. And so we find Mary feeling very hopeless. And she says, because they've taken my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. So the one that had saved her, the one who had been her source of hope, the one who had been her source of comfort, the one who had been her source of peace and safety, all those things was now gone. And so she found herself, and Jesus found her very sad. And again, if we do not believe in the resurrection, if we don't have hope in the fact of the resurrection, we're going to be, sa we're going to be sad too. And so there are many reasons for people to lose hope. We know we live in a world right now where the news is full of hopelessness. We, we live in a world where uh, half the conversations you have lead to how bad things are, where the world's going, you know, all, the, all those things. And so we know this, if we have our hope in anything but Jesus, it's going to let us down. And if, we're, if our eyes are focused on those other things, we're not going to have hope. But the one of the reasons that people lose hope the most, that causes people to be so hopeless, is not seeing a bright future. It's not being able to see into the future and see things are going to change. Things are going to get better. Most of us, the way we get through hard times is by thinking, well, things will get better next week. Things will get eventually better. And what the resurrection tells us is there's a future. There's a hope. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. I pray that your hearts be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope, <coughs> excuse me, is given to those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So here's what he's saying. I'm praying that you have hope 
And the reasons you can have hope is because Jesus was raised three days later. He is alive now. The reason we can have hope is because we know that there's a day coming when we'll be with him in heaven. We know that there's going to be a day when he's going to set all things straight. We know that there's going to be a day when justice is going to rule, right? We know that there's going to be a day when no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, none of those things, and we can be in heaven with him. And so think about it in this way. If there's two guys working the same job, two, two guys, and this jo- just imagine the worst job in the world. I don't know what that would be to you, but it's, it's terrible. It's a bad job. Bad conditions, bad boss, um, long hours, terrible benefits, all those things that make a job bad. Bad job. And, and so you have to work this job every day for a year, and then you get one week's vacation. And so it's just a bad job. And so they come to the first guy, and they say, I tell you what, though, if you can make it a whole year, you get a week's vacation, we're going to give you a $500 bonus. The next guy, they say, if you make it a whole year, we're going to give you one week's vacation and a $5 million bonus. There's going to be a little bit different attitude between the two guys, right? The guy making $5 million is going to come in going, hey, I don't care. Bad job, bad conditions, long hours. But at the end of the year, guess what I get? My whole life's going to change, right? And so we should view life like that because if we know Jesus because he's alive, because he came out of the grave, because of the resurrection, we know no matter how bad it is today, there's going to be a day. No matter how hard it gets, how dark it gets, if someone disappoints me, somebody hurts me, my job doesn't go well, my relationships don't go well, whatever it is, the economy tanks, all those things that go. I know there's going to be a day when there's a payoff that's going to be so great. It's going to change my life forever. And we can have that hope because of Jesus, right? So, but if we lose that hope or we'd never have that hope because we don't believe in a resurrected Jesus or we don't have the resurrected Jesus in our life, then, then we're not going to be able to have hope for a better day. See, the problem Mary was having was all of her hope at that moment was in the past. All of her hope she thought was dead. And if we think all that we had ever hoped for is in our past and there's nothing in our future, we're going to lose hope. But because of Jesus coming out of the grave, we have a bright hope. We have a bright future. We have great things to look forward to, right? And so the second thing we see that Jesus says is, who are you looking for? So the resurrection reveals what we're really looking for. And so the question is today... If Jesus is where he may ask you the same thing. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Because I think all of us are looking for something, and either we found it or we haven't found it. We know Bono says he still hasn't found what he's looking for. You know? <laughs> and most of us are looking for something or have been looking for something to fill us, to fulfill us, to bring us hope, to bring us satisfaction. And so if you're here this morning and you still have that sort of angst inside, you have that emptiness inside where, you know, no matter what you do, you just still don't feel satisfied. You don't feel complete. You don't feel joy. You can't ever get to the point where you feel like, you know what, life is good. It's because you don't have Jesus. Now, I'm not saying if you have Jesus, you're never going to have a bad day. But if you have Jesus and you know Jesus and you know he's alive and you know he's alive in you on those bad days, you can know I've still got peace. I'm still okay. I'm still fulfilled, right? And so what 
kind of Jesus are you looking for today? What, what are you looking for? See, Jesus, Mary didn't recognize him because he didn't look like she thought he was going to look. <laughs> now, there's a pretty good explanation for this. One is the last time she saw him, he was on the cross looking bad. And so she was probably expecting when the, if she found Jesus, he would still look that way. But when she found him, he didn't meet her expectations. You know, sometimes Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. But I can tell you this, sometimes we come into, we, we view Jesus as we're expecting too much of him. Because see, I think Mary thought it would be too much to expect to find Jesus alive. But in most of the time, we're expecting too less of Jesus. We're not expecting enough of Jesus. And we need to change the way we think. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm asking Jesus for this, but that's probably too much to ask. That's too big to ask. That's too hard to ask. He doesn't love me enough. He wouldn't do that. We need to come into Jesus saying, listen, there's nothing too big for him. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And he is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or think. So, you know, I may come into this thing thinking that I'm going to find a, a, a dead Jesus, but Jesus is alive. Yeah. Right? And, and so, when we just need to know this that God is never going to fit he's never going to fit our expectations or our construct of what God's going to be if you're serving a God that you created in your mind he's not a God if you're serving a God who, who fits all your, your checks all your boxes and fits inside your box he's not really God because God is so big and he's so wonderful his ways are above our ways his thoughts are above our thoughts right and so, when Jesus says, what are you looking for? I want to ask you this morning, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? Are you looking for a genie in a bottle? Did you say, Jesus, leave me alone, but every once in a while I want to pull you out and go, hey, I need this. I need my car paid off. I need a little extra money. I need a girlfriend. Whatever it may be, just every once in a while you pull that out and you just say, this is what I need. Is that who you're looking for? Are, are you looking for a Jesus that's going to get you out of hell but says to you, I don't care if you live like hell? Are, are you looking for a Jesus who just says everything's you know, okay and, and doesn't have, is not involved in your life? Or are you looking for a Jesus that's the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave and who's saying, I'm willing to live inside of you and give you a life that's more abundant? And see, we need to, Jesus was asking Mary, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And the question this morning is, who are you looking for? And Jesus is available, the real Jesus, the Jesus who can change everything in, in your life. And so the last thing that, that we hear that Jesus says to Mary is her name, Mary, Mary. And it says that when he says her name, her eyes were opened and she knew who he was. You ever have that experience like if, if you're married, you, you know your, your wife's name or your wife's voice or your husband's voice or your kid's voice above every other voice. And she heard the voice and she knew it was Jesus because he was calling her name. And can I tell you this morning, the reason you're in this room is because God called your name. The reason you're in this room this morning is because Jesus called your name. Yeah. 
Now you may be saying, no, Pastor, the reason I'm here is because she made me come or he made me come or he wouldn't leave me alone until I came. No, the reason you're here is because from the time you were born, God has been chasing you with an unfailing love. From the time you were born, God's been calling your name. And you can probably look back and see moments when, man, I should have died then or this thing should have happened then. Somebody was looking after me. I'll tell you who it was. It was Jesus. And he was calling your name. He was calling your name. And, and so I, I, can, I would almost invite you this morning just to close your eyes and listen in your spirit for a, a moment and just see if you don't hear the voice of Jesus calling your name this morning. He's called you here. He's called you to him. He's called your name. And this is grace. This is grace that Jesus loved us first, that he called us first. Let me tell you something. All of faith in Christ comes with him calling you first, not you calling him. And this is take some pressure off. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we feel like we have to find our way to him. No, we just need to respond to his call to us. Some people, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, I found religion? Well, I'll tell you this. You can find religion. You can find religion all you want. But in Christianity, Jesus finds you. Jesus calls your name. And so we, we only um, can come to grace. We can only come to Jesus knowing that he's the one who calls us. John six forty four says this. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And so we know that all of grace, all of faith in Christ begins with him coming to us. See, religion does this. Religion says you humans have to figure out a way to be divine. You humans need to work your way up to being divine. Christianity says the divine became human. So that we could become divine. And so it begins with God saying, I'm going to become a human. And all of grace is that God decided to send his son to earth to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death we should have died so that we could have the life that he deserves. And that's all of grace right there. And so we have to understand that we cannot come to grace unless we know that he calls our name and he's calling your name today. He's calling your name today. The other thing is we can only receive grace to the degree that we understand we need it. And what do I mean by that? We can only begin to receive grace once we understand that we're lost. That we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we're not going to make it to heaven on our good works. We're not going to make it to heaven by being a good person. We're not going to get to heaven because you pay your taxes and you don't cheat anybody. You can be the best person in the world and that doesn't get you to heaven. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have. And grace says only to the point that you understand that you need grace and can come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. Can we receive grace? <laughs> I like what Tim Keller says. I'm going to use his quote. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we have ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we've ever dared hope. See, Mary understood grace. Before Mary met Jesus, she was a demon-possessed prostitute. Demon-possessed prostitute. The Bible says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So she lived her whole life before Jesus knowing shame and guilt 
and condemnation and fear and abuse. She knew what it was like to be walking down the street and people go to the other side of the street. She knew what it was like to have people whisper behind her back. She knew what it was like to be mistreated and abused. She, she knew what it was like to be the outcast of society. But then Jesus, Jesus spoke her name. And when Jesus called her out and he set her free, she knew what grace was about. She knew what grace was about. And the reason we find her sad is because she thought the source of my grace is now gone. But we find when Jesus calls her name again, she realizes my grace is alive. The source of my grace and my hope and my love is alive. And the source of your grace and your hope and your joy and your peace is alive today. And then I think it's so interesting. Once she realizes that he was alive, it says she grabbed on to him. And she grabbed so tight that he had to say, Mary, let go of me. I've got some things to do. And to let go of me. And, and so here's what I want to say to you. Because Jesus was resurrected, you can grab a hold of that grace today. The grace of Jesus is available to you. And you can grab on to it. You can grab on it to, to it today because Jesus made the first move. Jesus decided to come to earth and live. Jesus decided to go to the cross himself. Jesus came out of the grave victorious. Jesus is the one who paid the price for your sin. And now he says, all you got to do is just come and enjoy my grace. Accept my grace. Accept my love. And let me come in and be part of that. See, we can have hope. We can have hope because of the resurrection. We can find what we're looking for because of the resurrection. And we can find grace. Because of the resurrection. Amen. Would you stand with me?